0: Well, good morning, Harvest Muskoka. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. We're gonna spend some time on God's word this morning. Book of Acts, chapter two. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you put your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands. If you forgot your Bible or didn't bring a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, for sure, get your hand up and take one of these home as our gift to you. But go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter two. As you're turning to God's Word, uh, when I was in Bible school, we learned that, that when you open up God's Word, there, there's a couple of ways you can approach Scripture. You can either approach it exegetically, or you can approach it eisegetically. Two big words, right? Here, here's what they are. Exegetically, that, that, the word exegetically, so when, when you study, when, when, I, when I preach, when you teach, to, to do this exegetically, it means it comes from this Greek word exa, which is to draw out. And so what do we do? We draw out the meaning from the text. So we come to God's word and we say, what's the original intent? What's the audience? What's the genre? And then we look at that and go, what does this text say to me right now, to our situation? Eisegesis, the, the other, the opposite of that is when you force your interpretation into the text. So, so you either start with God's word, you open up and say, what does this mean? Or you do this and you don't want to do this, but this is what you can do. You, could, you can say, well, let me just figure out what I want to find out. And then I'll look for some scripture to back up my idea, my wants, my desires. And listen, you can find verses ripped out of context to support just about anything you want it to support, or you can grab the Bible and you could say, hey, what would I come up with if I just opened this up? I tell you, it's what I love. I love that we have so many people in our church that are just new to the faith, that are just new to following Christ or maybe a renewed faith, just coming back after years being away and, and you're starting to pursue Christ again. I love it because you don't have a bunch of religious hangups. Right, you just open up God's word and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, it says here, Jesus says that we have to unconditionally forgive people. So... Uh, I guess that's what I do. And, and they forgive people, people that, that hurt them deeply. They go, well, this is what Jesus calls us to do. Wait, wait a minute, it says here that God calls us to live sacrificially. And so so they don't have any, any hangups. They're not trying to figure out, well, wait a minute, do I give on the gross or my net? Or, or how, is it 10% or not that? Like, what I give sacrificially, then I'm just going to do that. If there are needs to be met, then I'm just going to start to see how God would have me meet them. Or, or they open up God's word and go, wait a minute, Jesus leaves the earth and his last words to us are kind of like a job description, go into all the world, into all the nations and tell them about me and, and so they can be baptized and grow in knowing who Christ is and, and a new believer reads that and go, wait a minute, this is my job description and they tell everybody about Jesus. Their friends, their workplace become this mission field. It's, listen, this kind of way of approaching scripture is why I love to just, hey, let's grab a book together as a church and let's walk through a book of the Bible. Let's not find a subject to see where it fits. Let's just walk through. Here's why I love that, because I gotta open up God's word and go, what are the next few verses gonna say for us as a church? And sometimes you'll, you'll come on a son, you go, man, pastor, that, that, that sermon, you, man, it just, it hit my heart right where it needed it. I'm thinking, yeah, me too. Because I'm right there along with you, just being challenged and encouraged. And, and so it can be tough. Listen, it can be tough to have to preach or read or study God's word exegetically. But listen, even tougher is to live exegetically. Like if you just picked up God's word and forget your culture, forget your religious background or your non-religious background, forget that, well, I'm a Canadian or I'm from Muskoka, forget all of that. If you just picked up God's word, what would your life look like? What would life look like if you were to say, God, whatever you say here in your word, that's how I'm going to live my life today. I mean, what would your relationships look like? What would your bank account look like? What would your calendar look like? What would your speech sound like? What would your life look like? And here's another question. What would our church look like? Like if we just picked up God's word and we said, okay, harvest Muskoka, harvest Prairie Sound, let's drop all the cultural things, all the things that other church growth books or other things say, this is what church is supposed to be. And we just said, no, what does God's word say it's supposed to be? You know, just a couple weeks ago, we were preaching through, going through Galatians. We're in Galatians 6, and we're talking about what does it mean to love each other and and lift up each other's burdens. And I I said to you in that sermon, I'm going to say the same thing here. Listen, this is not meant to beat anybody up. Because I see you living out what church is supposed to be. So when we go through this idea of compassion, of living out the gospel in, in a real practical way, here's what I want to say that I hope you get from this message. Keep doing what you're doing. Now listen, if you need a kick in the pants, I hope you hear that too, right? Like I hope if you do need to be challenged and encouraged, that's great because I feel it as I started pouring into this going, God, what would you have us do? So, So let's jump into God's word this morning and say, if we were to start here, what would this whole idea of compassion look like? Because listen I, I don't know about you but I mean that video was was enough to move my heart. I mean did that not turn on your heart the thing that God's doing, right? If it didn't your on switch is broken, okay? Like that was a powerful video and as Dan shared that was very powerful. But listen, I want to do more this morning than just tug on heartstrings. Cuz we could do that, all right? We could show four or five videos. We could play some Sarah McLaughlin songs behind them, right? Cuz that works, okay? And but I don't want I want to go deeper than that, all right? So instead of, instead of looking, just have our heartstrings pulled. Let, let's start here. If you're taking notes, here's our first point My life is all about Jesus. I mean, that's our starting point, that's the foundation, isn't it? If we're Christ followers, we begin here. My life's all about Jesus. I mean, what, what was it about the early church? We're gonna read here in Acts chapter two how they lived this out. But, but before we get there, we need to understand that it always begins with Jesus. For them, it began with Jesus. It began with this handful of people that had been with Jesus. And Jesus said, just wait here and pray and, and then my spirit is gonna fill you. And so what do they do? They lived radically different lives because they met Jesus. They were filled with the spirit of God and they lived as though their life was all about Jesus. Listen, I love this church, but, but hundreds of years from now, when, when, when no one remembers Harvest Bible Chapel, when no one remembers any of us, there will still be faithful followers of Jesus Christ living radically different lives on mission for Christ. That's what scripture calls us to. It calls us to be these people on mission, all about Jesus. Not about harvest, not about some philosophy, not about just some idea or thoughts. No, no, what are we all about? We're all about Jesus. And I think we have to say that a lot. I mean, like, that's, that's kind of basic, isn't it? No, I think we need to remind ourselves because so often our lives become about so many other things. Most often where my life goes, I don't know if you're in the same place, I most often make my life all about me. All right, think about it. We, we don't have to encourage each other to be selfish. We don't have to encourage you, other, hey, think more about yourself, right? You don't need to teach your kids. I didn't need to take my kids aside when they were growing up and go, hey, hey, hey look, your sister has a toy and you want it. Don't you see it? You got to now go and argue and fight and complain to me about it, right? You don't, do, you, don't, hey, you don't hand out dessert and go, hey, wait, 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 wait. Don't start eating yet. Compare sizes. <laughs> she got a bigger piece of cake. Don't you see it? You, need to, you don't need to teach your kids that, all right? I didn't have to teach my kids that. They did that real natural-like, right? And so, so when, when we pick up God's word, some of scripture should really bug us. Why? Because it's pressing in on our selfish hearts. In fact, here's a piece of scripture right here. I'm gonna put it up on the screen for you. Luke 9, 23 says this. If, if you wanna follow, this is what Jesus is talking. If anyone w- would come after me, if you wanna follow me, he says you need to deny yourself. I don't like that. Like, I, I wish Jesus would say, hey, if you wanna follow after me, just be yourself. You're a snowflake. You're unique. Just be you. Right? Jesus doesn't say that, does he? No, he says, deny yourself. Then he says, take up his cross. Take up your cross. I don't like that. That sounds painful. Like Jesus, you're actually making a sound, Jesus, like, like my life is not about me. It's not about my wants, my desires, my needs. It sounds like my life ends when I meet you and I begin a new life. It sounds like maybe in my marriage that it isn't all about me that I, I don't love my spouse for what I get. In fact, when I love my spouse and, and maybe she's not responding great to it. In fact, maybe, maybe my spouse, maybe you're here to you go, yeah, but my spouse doesn't just not respond. They respond sinfully. And Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross. It sounds like that in my friendships, it's, it's not about what I get. It sounds like this whole idea of unconditional forgiveness and love. Maybe this is, it's as crazy as it is. It's what I've been called to. It sounds like my whole life actually isn't about me. And what Jesus says, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross. Then how's that verse end? It says, and do it Daily. Daily. Like, how many be like, hey, hey, Jesus, could I, like, get a day off from this? There's every, like, I will be, it'll be all about you. I will follow you with everything, but I just want a day off every once in a while. Like, am I the only one honest in church? Like, you ever have that thought? Like, I just, like, if I, like, I get it, that that when, when I'm on the throne of my life or other idols are on the throne of my life, things go bad. When Jesus is on the throne, there's joy and peace and hope and wholeness. And yet there are days, are there not, where you're like, Jesus, how about you step off for a second? When somebody cuts me off on the road, I don't want to follow Jesus right then, all right? I want my bumper to follow into the back of their car. That's what I want, Right? And as Paul says in Galatians 2.20, that I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. It's no longer about me. He says, Christ lives in me, the life I now live in the flesh, how I live my life on earth right now. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus comes to give himself for us and now we give our whole lives away for him. If I were to start with just the Bible, okay, nothing else around, if I were to start, here's what I would come up with, I would come up with this, it's not about me, it's all about Jesus, I mean, think about, it. we're gonna get up to Acts chapter two here, but, but before we read the description of the church here, what, what's going on here? Peter just preached this sermon where he laid out for the people their condition, where he said, everybody here is broken and lost apart from God, that your sin has separated you from a holy God, your enemies of God. But God, being full of mercy and grace, sent his son, Jesus to live the perfect life that we were supposed to live but couldn't, dying in our place, taking all our sin, all our shame, raising again from the grave to conquer sin and death and Satan and our selfish hearts. And this message Peter preaches, it cuts right to their hearts. They're wrecked by the truth that they had rejected God's Messiah. And so they say, what do we need to do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. Repent, turn, stop going after your own thing. Stop making life all about you. Stop pursuing sin, stop pursuing religion and pursue Jesus. Put your hope and trust your life in him and and everything changed for them. Many of you here this morning, you've had that life-altering experience where, where you heard someone share the good news, the gospel, the gospel that says that what we've been saying this for a while now you're more sinful than you would ever admit but you're more loved than you would ever imagine and somebody shared this with you and you responded and it, it couldn't just be a day like any other day from that moment on everything changes you call out to God you experienced his forgiveness his grace his love but maybe you're here this morning and say yeah that happened but then what I mean, did, did it just change us so we go to church a little more? Did it, was it just a moment where, where now I'm going to read the Bible a bit more? Or was it just a mental shift? Or did everything change on that moment? Here in Acts, everything changed when Christ invaded their hearts. Look, look at verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. This is just describing this group of new believers. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, day by day, those who were being saved. I mean, the gospel creates this brand new community. They didn't really know each other before. And now here they are when their lives become all about Jesus. Suddenly they're brought together in this missional community. Their their lives now overlap with each other. They're eating meals together. They're having people they barely knew over into their homes. And they're being vulnerable about their needs. And they're, they're being generous with what they had. I mean, it's no wonder it says that there was awe of what was happening. The people were like, I can't believe what's going on with that group of people. People were experiencing grace and joy and generosity and it was amazing. Listen, our lives as followers of Jesus Christ begin here. It begins when it's all about Jesus. This this foundation of life, what does it do? It creates a whole new community of how we do life and how we do life together where, where our eyes move off of ourselves and they move on to Christ. And when that happens, our eyes are open to the needs of people around us. We, we begin to selflessly and sacrificially give our time and our finances to care for each other and to care for the world. When we encounter Jesus, our hearts are actually opened up more to those around us. So it's, it's all about Jesus. Here's our second point though. It's all about Jesus and my love for Jesus opens my heart to the world. My love for Jesus opens my heart to the world. Look again at verse 42. It says they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to to the apostles' teachers. They devoted themselves to the word. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, to each other. I mean, they, they were so devoted to just opening up God's word, let's live this thing out. Now listen, they weren't a perfect church, don't get this in your idea ID in your head that well, that's the, the church way back then. It was newer, so it was, it was better. They were, they were No. It was a church filled with unmet expectations. It was a, a church filled with hurt feelings, filled with broken relationships, filled with people who were still struggling to live lives that were all about Jesus, when they wanted them to be all about for themselves. They were not a perfect church, but what were they? They were devoted. They were devoted. They were devoted even through the messiness of community. Is it not messy? What we do is messy sometimes, isn't it? Because we hurt each other. Our schedules bump up against each other. They were devoted to each other. They were devoted to to the mission of Christ for the world. Look up at verse 41. Before we hit verse 42, it said this. In verse 41, so those who received his word, so people who heard Peter's sermon were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people on day one. You go to chapter four, 2,000 more people added. I mean, can you imagine that kind of growth in a church? I mean, harvest kids would be out of control, wouldn't it? I mean, you very quickly, you run out of cotton balls and, and popsicle sticks. Like, how are you going to make sheep, right? Because it's growing so fast. And, and so this church is growing. And, and right in between chapter 2, where it talks about 3,000 people, chapter 4, where it says two more thousand people are added, right in the middle of that, there's chapter 3, where we see Peter and John, two of the church leaders, love and care for a guy nobody else cared about. It says in chapter three that they were just going on their way to worship. They're on their way to church. They bump into this guy who's been lame since birth. He just sits there in front of the church begging for money. Look at verse four of chapter three. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. says that they directed their gaze. That doesn't mean they just looked and moved away. The word there has this idea of this fixed, fully engaged with what they saw. They didn't glance and keep going. But how often do we do that, right? Even this morning, you you watch that video and, and very quickly your mind and your heart's like, I just don't want to think about that anymore, so I'll just keep moving. Peter and John saw the need. And how do we know they saw the need? Because they actually acted on it. They reached out in love. They showed compassion. I love that word, compassion. I love that that's the word that the ministry we were talking about this morning chose as their word. Because compassion, it's not just have strong feelings for It's not just have this, this heart that's moved for something. The word compassion literally means this, to suffer with we, we can't say we have compassion if we just, oh yeah, there's hurt and pain. We kind of acknowledge it. We move on. We, we give it a bit of lip service. No, no, if we really have compassion, what's the word saying? We sacrifice to meet the need. Why? Because we want to suffer with those who suffer. It's so easy in our culture today, in church culture in Canada, where we could come to church every Sunday and never engage in any kind of meaningful relationships, never see the needs around us with compassion. And what happens is church quickly becomes this gathering of inauthentic people. No real compassion for each other's needs, no real compassion for the needs in our community, no real compassion for the needs around the world. But what happens is the gospel comes in and when we embrace the truth of Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel, we embrace that, what's to do? It creates this missional community. We, we see it all over the early church. People believe the gospel and what do they do? Right away, they believe in Jesus. Right away, they connect together with other believers and they're on mission for Jesus. I hope that even seeing what Peter and John did here, we we grab a hold of this truth. What did they do? Did they take care of all the needs right away? No, they saw one need and they went out to reach it. And listen, if we want to be the most effective in reaching the many and the needs are great, if we want to be the most effective at reaching the many, we need to be passionate about reaching just one. If we want to be effective at reaching the many, we need to be passionate about reaching the one. Listen, the need's too great, There are so many hurting and broken people right here in Muskoka. There are so many hurting and broken people right here in our church. There are so many hurting and broken people around the world, but you look at this New Testament church and they were growing unbelievably for sure. But why did they grow? They grew because they cared about individuals. They cared about the people and they reached out to meet the hurts why? Because they have this true compassion that's driven by Jesus following, by understanding the gospel. And what happens is history tells us the church reached out in unbelievable ways of compassion. In this time, in the, when the book of Acts was happening, the, the way that people dealt with unwanted children, birth control in that day was to kill the baby. So if you had a child, you didn't want the child, Maybe especially in this culture, you had a daughter, but you would rather have a son, they would just throw the kid out. Literally just throw them out. And what did the church do? The church was known for going around to these trash heaps and rescuing these babies and bringing them into their own families. They had compassion. I mean, that, that was the mark of the, the New Testament church that they, they sacrificed for others. They gave of themselves. When the, I've said this before, but when the, the plague came through Rome and everybody was fleeing the city and just leaving people to die, the Christians went back into the plague to meet the needs of the people who are dying. So you begin to ask, well, then what happened? Like, like, how did things so go off the rails then? How do we get to this cultural church Christianity thing now where we don't see that happening as much in church culture on the whole? And I don't want to simplify things, but if you look at church history, what began to happen is right away in, in about AD 250, this guy Cyprian of Carthage begins to talk about, hey, we need to separate pastors from people we need to separate the ministers from the members. And so quickly, church became this place where, 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 hey, hey the pastors take care of people, not the church. In 313, Constantine steps in and he legalizes Christianity, begins to build buildings and makes the separation even further. And, and quickly, this whole idea of the monastery life is created. Now ministers fully separated from anybody. Then you come to the 18th, 19th, 20th century, the industrial revolution steps in and now church begins to be run more like a business where people coming to church now, they're customers, they're consumers and pastors are like CEOs and quickly we see this picture we just read about in Acts 2. Seems like a faraway dream. Like was church ever that way? But listen, listen, hearts captured and captivated by the gospel that says that we are all beggars pointing other beggars to where we find bread. When we get that, we start pointing people to Jesus. We recapture this reality, we become devoted, devoted to each other, devoted to this mission. It'll drive us to live our lives not just for ourselves anymore. I mean, practically, what's that gonna look like? Well, practically, what it does, it drives us to become a people that would look so different from the world. Why? Because we value people over stuff. Look at verse 45. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I mean, these, this church didn't just give out of their abundance. It wasn't like, you know what? I make so much money, I can flip you a couple of bucks to try to take care of you. No, they're like, you know what? I'm gonna give sacrificially. I'm gonna give out of my one. I'm gonna sell some stuff. Is that so opposite? What do we do? We sacrifice, it's called debt. We sacrifice for ourselves. It's not just that we don't have much. We'll go into sacrificial debt to get more. They're sacrificing stuff to give more. It seems crazy. Listen, that's what the gospel does. You look over scripture and God's care for the poor is written all over, the, all over his word. Old Testament laws put in place to protect the poor. God's judgment over those who don't care for the poor. In fact, God says in in Amos chapter five, he's talking to a group of people who would be killing it on Sunday morning. They would have the, the best worship service in town. And this is what God says. He says, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, he says. He's like, I hate your worship services. You get up there, you sing worship. I don't even want to hear it. Here's what he says. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never falling stream. Care for those who are hurting around you. If you're sitting here going, look, I don't want worship that God says I don't want to hear. What do I do? do?" James 1.27 says this, that religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So what are we called to do, Harvest Muskoka, as, as those who do have so much? It would seem if we were just to go by scripture that those who've been radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that that they would have as part of their regular lives just sacrificial giving, serving, loving, caring for those who are in need. And listen, don't, don't get me wrong. I believe that every good gift we have is a good gift from our Father. And we're to enjoy the stuff we have. God, God loves when we celebrate what he gives us. The Bible's also full of parties, all right? So it's not like we all have to just wear sackcloth and just be miserable all the time. No, no, Jesus and his followers were marked by joy. But we need to keep our eye on this reality, that there's a difference between enjoying our stuff and worshiping our stuff. we can quickly lose the joy of giving because our stuff has such a grip on our hearts and the way that grip is loosened is when we remember the gospel. When God tells his people in the Old Testament to care for the poor around him, you know what he always does? He reminds them who they were you guys were slaves that I I rescued and I made you sons and daughters. You were were blind and naked and poor and had no hope, but I chose you and I loved you. The gospel does the same for us. Doesn't the gospel remind us who we are? That you're not your stuff. You're not your possessions. You're a people of God. That, That you too were blind and lost and broken and naked and poor. And Jesus said, I love you. I choose you. And now we live our lives pointing others to this hope because think about it. What are we doing? When somebody hears about this God in heaven who they can't see, they hear us talking about this Holy Spirit that that, that works among us, lives in us. It's hard to understand. I mean, when you talk to people about the gospel, doesn't it feel weird sometimes? Like, what am I pointing them to? Well, what do I have to show them? Listen, point them to a community that's been changed by the gospel. Point them to a group of people that are on mission. Show them what the gospel actually produces. Where you say, listen, listen, just come and hang out, man. We're a bunch of broken, messed up people. But we're devoted to each other. We love each other, and we work through conflict, and, 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 and we sacrificially give for, for needs that we see, and not just in our church, though we will take care of any need in our church, but man, we, we just want to give and take care of the needs around the world. And when we begin to live this way, what does it do? It gives weight to the gospel that you've just been sharing. It gives you something to point to. The Christian life, the Christian community, what we call church, was designed for mission to, to welcome people who are far from God. That's why it says here in Acts 2 that, that, that people were being added day by day. The place was growing. Why? Because their mission was people. They're reaching out to the hurting, to the lost, they're on mission together. Small groups was not just a time to get together and have coffee and snacks and chat a bit about the Bible and what's going on. No, they were involved in people's lives. I'm telling you, the best small groups we have going on in our church right now are those groups where people are, are connected. Not just that hey, we meet once a week for an hour and a half, but no, they're in each other's lives all week. They're on mission together saying, hey, what can we do as a group of followers to be on mission? And they're reaching out and caring for the, the needs within their small group and outside of their small group. I'm telling you, those are the groups where people are like, hey, let's not slow this thing down this summer. Let's keep meeting. Those are the groups where people are saying, man, man if we, more people want in. What do we do? How do we grow this thing? How do we plan another one like this? All throughout the book of Acts. There's this repeated idea of this church growing on mission together. I don't know about you, but I want something so much more than just an hour and a half on Sunday and coffee and snacks once a week. I mean, this is good. It's good that we do this. I loved getting together like this. And small groups are so good. But if, if Jesus is our everything, if we're devoted to him, if we're changed by the gospel, then, then something's created in us as a group. We begin to pour our lives out for each other and for the world. And, and, and like in the book of Acts, the world will sit up and take notice. Nobody sits up in our community and goes, wow, they meet for an hour and a half every Sunday. That's awesome, right? Maybe some people would. Listen, there are thousands of people in Muskoka and in Parry Sound that would never come to a Sunday service. But listen, they'd come to your house for dinner. They could care less what we do here on a Sunday, but but they'll care about you. They'll care about your story. They'll care about the story of, of Jesus changing your life. They'll care about what you're doing as you're reaching out with the same gospel, the same good news, as they see this, this outcome of Jesus in your life. When we lose Jesus, we become a country club. We become filled with consumers and customers. We, we stop seeing the, the needs and the hurts around us and we only just look into ourselves. We, we forget the mission we've been called to. But when we embrace the gospel, listen, you're doing this. Don't grow weary in doing good. We take care of needs around us. We take care of the poor and broken because we recognize that I was poor and broken before Jesus stepped in. And so as we close this morning, what does this look like in your life? I mean, if it is all about Jesus and finding Jesus, knowing Jesus, being changed by Jesus, opens our eyes and our hearts to the world, what does this change? How does this change the way we do church? What does it look like in your life? What, what changes in your schedule, in your bank account, in what you do in your family, in your friendships, in your school? What changes now as you start thinking through? Yeah, you know what? This should radically change everything. How, how do we live exegetically? How do we take God's word and just apply it? Say, this is how I'm gonna live my life. What's my schedule look like? What, what's my time look like? What's my money look like? What do my relationships look like? So this morning is as we wrap this thing up, here, here for sure, go out into the foyer and grab as many kids as you can. As families, they're like, hey, hey, how many kids can we sponsor as students? Hey, you know what? Like, I I don't have a lot of money, but I got some. I can do this as kids. maybe, maybe, Maybe your kids can start thinking, you know what? Hey, part of my allowance, I want it to go to this because I want more than a pen pal. I want someone changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So listen, I would love for us to go there. I would love for first service to take so many that second service comes in and they gotta try to figure out, hey, how do we get more of these little things made up in time for the next service? Like, that's what I would love to see happen. But listen, listen, this is important. Not just as a project, not just as a special Sunday, but this would be our lifelong mission. A love for Jesus that creates in us a love for each other and a love for the world. I mean, how's that happen though? The needs are so great. You you read through the book of Acts, here's how it happens. You have to find out who the hero of the story is. The hero of the story in the book of Acts was not the church in Acts. The hero of the story was not Peter and John or they did some great things. All through the book of Acts, the hero of the story is Jesus Christ. It's his name lifted high. The, The task of reaching our community, it seems so high The mission of reaching the lost and the hurting with the good news of Jesus Christ almost seems impossible. Listen, if you and I were the heroes of this story, it would be impossible. We know that it's Jesus that does the work. So what do we do? We reach out, we reach out for the one and let Jesus do the work. And he moves mountains and he saves and he transforms and he changes Would you stand with me as I close in prayer? Heavenly Father, there are so many needs. Needs right here in our own body needs in our community, and as as our eyes are being opened up this morning, even more needs around the world. And, And, Lord, we know that the greatest need is you. And so we go out, not, not with just a, a, a warm feeling in our hearts, not just with the, the weight of the call that's on us, not just with the, the idea that, that how are we ever gonna accomplish this as a church? How are we gonna do more? And, but we go out with the joy of knowing this, that Lord God, you move the mountains. You change lives. You transform us to send us out as a community on mission. So this morning, would you do a work in our hearts? Would you do a work in our families? Would you do a a work in our church? Would you do a work in our community? Lord God, we're calling to you to do a work around the world. We call out in faith. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.